The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you living a wellness lifestyle? What could it do for you? Join us today on the Wellness Lounge a step further and see how our guests and direction can inspire you to self-empowerment through a wellness lifestyle. Now, here is the host of the Wellness Lounge a step further, Desiree Watson. Hello, and thanks for joining us. As usual, I'm so excited about uh, everyone who's tuning in from around the world. I just want to say thank you to... uh, uh, Spain and Germany and Italy, China, uh, England, Canada, and, of course, uh, Japan. If I haven't mentioned uh, uh, the country uh, today, I will always get it in, but I'm ever so humbled. Even Thailand is listening, and I think that's just pretty awesome, fascinating. So thanks again, and uh, I believe that uh, one of the reasons why you're listening in is because our whole goal is to take it a step further. We are the Wellness Interactive, which uh, has a brand called the Wellness Lounge. It's our signature brand. We're located at 14 South Orange Avenue in South Orange, New Jersey. And what we do is uh, we like to uh, speak about uh, how to empower uh, us all with the idea of connecting that whole mind-body-spirit. It's an absolute beautiful uh, thing when you can connect all, but maybe sometimes we're only able to do the mind or we're able to do the mind-body at times, or um, we're just able to show up to listen to people who may be doing such great work and they may live right next door to you and you have no idea of some of the work that they're doing. So thanks again for tuning in and I hope uh, that um, we continue to engage uh, you all uh, with a step further. So today uh, we're going to have uh, a pretty amazing guest. Uh, initially, we were going to have Dr. Pride Boone, and we're always uh, uh, grateful for Dr. Pride Boone's engagement. But unfortunately today, Dr. Pride Boone is not uh, able to join us. But, of course, we have someone uh, that she's actually recommended and who we think uh, uh, engages uh, with Dr. Pride Boone to take it a step further uh, for communities and health and, uh, and wellness and uh, therapies and all of these great things. So we're going to be speaking with uh, Professor Dwight Williams in a moment. And I'll give you a little background information. But right now, I'd like to read uh, uh, information from a book by Rupert A. Hales, Jr., who uh, I'm so ever humbled and honored to know uh, this amazing person who has instructed me 
uh, in the past nine months with uh, the New York City Leadership Fellows Program, which is held uh, in New York City. And you can, you can always look up New York City Leadership Fellows, and uh, they are doing such amazing work. And, and um, the platform is always being grounded in faith, you know. It's, it's such, uh, I can't stress how beautiful that space is when you are grounded in faith. So his book is Emotional Intelligence and the Church. So I just want to read the preface from um, his book as uh, just something you may want to think about when we're engaging with uh, Mr. Williams. Uh, It reads, As servants of Christ, we are called to be exemplary citizens in the world around us. We are called to be people who are separate and different from the world. But how can we be different? Do we get up the day after conversion and say, Lord, it is time for me to act differently, be different, and demonstrate I am a perfect person in the sight of Christ? It is a process that requires us to examine our spiritual well-being, align our lives to God, and not just our spiritual lives, but our natural, practical existence as well. As Socrates once said, know thyself. It is my belief that in order for us to be different, we must know ourselves. How do we know ourselves? We know ourselves by examining our inner being, understanding the environment in which we operate, and by being aware of ourselves and how our emotions affect others. We know ourselves when we do not allow the way we feel, the way we emote, the way we understand how others are feeling, why they do what they do, how they do what they do, and the way in which they do what they do to determine our behavior in certain situations. (laughs) I love that. I absolutely love it because I think it um, affects us all if we get a little closer to it, if we're not already. And on that note, I just want to give you a little background uh, with uh, Professor uh, Dwight C. Williams, who may be able to enlighten us a little more on getting closer to this amazing platform that he's already uh, directing, you know, a leadership platform, a um, uh, little information. He's the director of the undergraduate public health program in the School of Public Health, director of the Northeast Regional Public Health Leadership uh, Program. Um, I, I must say, I think I, I uh, of course, uh, may have left this out. He's at University Albany, State University of Albany. So uh, that said, going on to some of the amazing work that he is doing, he's the past chair of the executive committee and current co-chair of the strategies work group of the National Public Health Leadership Development Network, charged with increasing public health leadership capacity through the promotion of linkages among state, regional, national, and international leadership programs. He was uh, appointed as chair-elect 
of the Pub- Public Health Leadership Society, which links alumni of the National Regional Public Health Leadership Institutes and other public health leadership development programs in support of lifelong learning and equitable public health policy. And, you know, I can go on. He is just, uh, I'm so humbled to have you here, <laughs> Dwight. You're just uh, quite amazing and doing uh, such great work. Um, I can't wait to... Uh, to engage on uh, so many levels uh, to help uh, uh, our listeners understand how to empower ourselves and our communities to maybe do some of the great uh, leadership uh, work that you're doing. So welcome. Morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Hey, listen, I thank you for being here. So I just want to, reading your bio, uh, I I just want to, really uh, focus on you for a moment because uh, based on this bio, uh, you're, you're doing amazing work without a doubt. And um, you could probably uh, be any place in the world and addressing other leadership issues uh, around the world. But I, I want to just focus on how you got to this place and this, this point. I think um, – you're born and raised in, in Washington, D.C.? Correct, correct. So, um, Dwight, can you tell us a little more about uh, maybe perhaps uh, uh, your environment when you were growing up? Did you uh, actually think or visualize uh, being where you are today? And was your focus always uh, how to change our communities, our environment, how to uh, be that leader. Were you a leader when you were younger, or how does that work for you, and how did you navigate that experience? Well, uh, yes, I was born in Washington, D.C. I'm a child of the 60s, and uh, Washington, D.C. is a, a the nation's capital. It's the world's capital. Right. It's also a city of many communities, many communities that have very, very different social economic outcomes, health outcomes, etc. It's also a city with a deep southern heritage. Ah, okay. Very segregated when I was growing up. Uh, from K through 12th grade, I think I may have had one white teacher and five white kids in, in the class. Mm. And the communities were pretty much divided along the racial lines. Um, mm. Things that were important in my upbringing, education and, and, and being involved, going to church. Um, right. Now, you said something um, about uh, the schools. You said you had five uh, uh, white kids in your class or Caucasian kids in your class? From K through 12, I had probably only white, five white kids. You know, I find that interesting because it, it sounds a little similar to the way I grew up. I, I grew up in a predominantly uh, black school initially, not, not always, but I think up until about sixth grade, and we had about four Caucasian uh, kids, white kids, in the whole school. And then we were bussed off where the, the classes were predominantly white and we had maybe four black kids. So I just want to ask, um, do you think that, uh, that, that uh, it's safe to say, I mean, I, I always say this, that uh, I grew up in uh, and attended integrated schools all my life. Now, because sometimes uh, it's, you know, it can be questionable as to the integration because we, we sometimes just look at the balance of it. Should it be 50-50 or 60-40? Uh, 
But um, how do you feel about that? Do you think uh, or, or feel that you've grown up uh, in integrated schools, even though it's predominantly black and you have white kid, five white kids? Well, well, no. Uh, integration is the goal, was the goal, and is still the goal. Uh, right. No, I get that. But how was your experience? Do you feel that it was an integrated, uh, was uh, having five white kids in the class, uh, was that for you? Uh, something that uh, you can say was an integrated, uh, no, it wasn't integrated platform that they were? We, we recognized what happened in 1954, and it took several years before the desegregation to finally settle in. And in many parts of the country, it didn't Right. Happen. So the Supreme Court had to issue an executive order or some kind of mandate uh, requiring the, the uh 1954 decision to be done with all deliberate speed. And some historians say, well, uh, deliberate and speed are kind of oxymorons. <laughs> Hard to be deliberate uh, when someone's telling you to, to, to do something with speed. Others said it was just an, uh, an expression that it had to be done immediately. But desegregation settled in, and even with desegregation, the city was still very, very segregated. Um, it wasn't until later in the 60s where uh, there was this notion nationwide of white flight that we started to move beyond the boundaries of traditionally uh, black Negro neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And uh, from, from high school into college, my environment was pretty much dominated by in predominantly black Situations. I went to Delaware State University, historic to black college, and then in 1970 went off to University of Delaware and then Rutgers University. And that kind of introduction into an integrated society, however, what I found and what my classmates found, that we were still the limited number of students in those academic environments. So we had desegregation, but we haven't achieved, we did not, had not achieved integration. Integration uh, breaks down the walls. I don't know how you quantify when you reached it, but mm -hmm. um, many, many families have moved into areas to, that were desegregated, but that doesn't mean two families living in a development of 200 families uh, that that's an integrated society. It's desegregated. There's a small difference, but important one. Right. Oh, gosh, that's so eloquent. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful. So um, uh, uh, fast forward where we are now. Um, as an African-American male, uh, as you reflect on uh, I, I think uh, the life of an African-American male um, uh, based on desegregation, integration, environment, community, where are we now? Because I can tell you how uh, not only am I disturbed, but there are so many uh, people disturbed about uh, uh, what's happening in some of the communities throughout the country and just recently with uh, – uh, what's happened in, in Staten Island with uh, uh, a father of six, Gardner, Mr. Gardner, uh, screaming for his life uh, more than, I, I think about 11 times, saying he can't breathe. 
Um, you know, it, it's kind of, it, for me, it's difficult to tie that all in with what you just mentioned so eloquently, but I'm sure that uh, uh, based on uh, what you do in your profession, you might be able to enlighten us on uh, uh, where we are uh, just as, as uh, human beings and how to go beyond the race factor and to embrace communities throughout the country and throughout the world when there are differences. Well, can you enlighten us with, uh, on the public health of us all in our environments and our communities where we okay. can at least begin with the African-American male that's screaming for his life in the street? How does that fit into all that you've uh, navigated in your whole life experience to, to now educate leaders. How can we do better? How can we be better? And, and it doesn't matter what job. You can be the police officer. You can be the person standing there uh, shooting the picture uh, of, of this man dying. I, I just don't get all this. So can you enlighten us on okay. uh, public okay. health and leadership? Uh, we struggle with race in this country. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that we are uncomfortable in dealing with. Uh, we try to avoid it. Uh, the current Attorney General, Eric Helder, says that uh, we are a nation of cowards when it comes to dealing with race. Right. Um, we had Cornell West who indicated that race is our Achilles tendon. We don't mm. like to talk about it, but then yet and still we constantly talk about it. We talk about it in codified terms. We talk about the underclass the poor, the vulnerable, minorities. We talk about target populations, at-risk groups. And when we just peel off the skin from those, we're talking pretty much about race. Mm. And we know that that race has an impact on um, determining your social economic status, determining the schools that you, you go to. And in some instances, still the neighborhoods that you can, can live in and the jobs that, that you can find and be able to develop a career. So we need to go beyond just the expression of this being a post-racial era. We have not had the honest conversation about the importance of race. We do know that race has a direct impact on our health status. Mm. Uh, in 1997, I believe, uh, President Bill Clinton had this initiative on race. And he wanted to have a start a dialogue in terms of just how do we overcome our history of racial indifferences. And uh, John Hope Franklin, distinguished historian, uh, was the chair. And what they came away with is that um, there were such things called uh, called uh, uh, racial determinants of health. Right, right. Oh, gosh. That, that's incredible. Can't wait to uh, engage and hear more about that. Can you just uh, hold that thought for a moment, Dwight, and we're going to break for a commercial. This is so uh, enlightening. Uh, just can't wait to get back to hear more. So stay with us. We're speaking with Dwight Williams, a professor from uh, Albany State University, uh, who is really enlightening us on uh, the, uh, on race and actually uh, how we can really uh, just, uh, just use our human factor uh, in, uh, above race. But uh, we're going to get more into the dialogue in a moment. We'll return. Thank you. 
This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. We're speaking with Dwight Williams, Professor Dwight Williams from uh, Albany State University, and we're so happy to have you here with us today. And he's enlightening us on uh, the race issues of our country and maybe of our world. So um, we were speaking about uh, President Clinton's initiative, Dwight. Uh, uh, would love to hear more about that. Okay. Um, I'm from the University at Albany. University okay. at Albany. A SUNY uh, State University State of New University York. of New York at Albany. In 1997, I believe it was, okay. this initiative on race, uh, revealed that there were racial health disparities. And it was a, a milestone because heretofore we talked about eliminating disparities in health based on race. Now, initially we talked about reducing the disparities in health outcomes based on race. That was the verb that was constantly used, reduce, reduce, reduce. Out of this initiative, the focus switched to eliminate racial disparities. And when you reduce, there's going to be, in many instances, still that gap. When you eliminate, you create an infrastructure to not just reduce but eliminate the differences, eliminate the gap. And you create what has been created was an infrastructure with that as a goal. And... um, that was a very, very difficult task to achieve at that point in time. So now we're in an environment where we're talking about eliminating racial health disparities and promoting health equity. But at that point in time, the message got convoluted because the world was too preoccupied dealing with um, a stain on the blue dress, Monica Lewinsky. Right. But those of us in the field, we, we say, wow, this is a, a way to, to, to deal with why the life expectancy for African Americans is significantly lower than that of, of white American others, in particular the life expectancy for African American men. We have the shortest life expectancy. 
we're barely at 70 years old. Uh, for for all blacks, um, male and female, it's about 74 years old. For 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 all whites, it's about 78 years old. So when it comes to the health status of African American people, particularly African American men, we lag significantly behind our counterparts. And we as a group, we're disconnected, the most disconnected group in terms of health outcomes. And there are lots lots of reasons that contribute to our health status. Um, Right, that's what I wanted to to really get uh, to also. Uh, Now, in in understanding policy, because that's, that's your area and it's, incredible it's awesome and i understand you educate a lot of of, of leaders in the area of uh, public health policy but if we just focus for a moment Dwight, on one uh, perhaps one of the issues in our community and not saying that it uh it totally relies on uh, uh us or african americans to uh do this alone but when i think about our communities uh not uh having access to just the basics, which is food. You know, uh, we have stores, you know, our, our African-American communities have grocery stores, but not uh, grocery stores that are consistent with what's expected to have a healthy diet. Just something simple as that, you know, fruits and vegetables and produce and the education of knowing how to uh, help families uh, 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 to maintain a healthy diet. That might be something small, but I think there's a lot of uh, uh, issues around policy that's also perpetuated in our communities with that. You know, you, you can shut down uh, liquor stores in every corner, or you can uh, uh, shut down uh, cigarettes uh, for kids who aren't uh, 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 21 or 18. You know, you've got all the laws. So uh, my point is, why can't you address or do something when it comes to grocery stores that are selling uh, uh, food that's not food? <laughs> they label oh, it food, know, but it's we, not we have food. To realize that's one thing, but then there are many other issues. So I'm right hoping that somewhere we can address that first. And 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 uh, uh, supermarkets are entrepreneurial in their ventures. Yep. Do a lot of market analysis to determine where best they can uh, provide a service and maintain profitability. Yeah. But what we find in many communities is that we we don't have the economic power or the economic wherewithal to support for example, a price chop or a shop and save or these major grocery stores. And what we have, and these stores have been pretty much our lifeblood, have been the, the corner stores. Most Americans... Right, exactly. Most Processed Americans all over, urban, you know. in, in urban areas know that there have been corner stores that have been vital to our mere existence. But what mm-hmm. we're finding out now is that one's nutrition and their food intake does impact the health status. So whereas you would go into a corner store, you call it a bodega or what have you, one of the first things you see when you walk through the door, you'll see potato chips, you'll see cookies and cakes on the windows, they're advertising for cigarettes or lottery tickets or beer. 
Right. And you, and you know what? The- I, I just want to address this, the cigarettes. There are cigarettes that are being sold in these stores. This is not, I don't have any, uh, you know, I'm not going after the, the local store of a day ago. You know, people have to earn a living. I get that. But there are cigarettes being uh, sold, loose cigarettes being sold in these stores. And you don't really see the aggressiveness with uh, our, um, you know, uh, uh, our police officers shutting down these stores or anybody going in. They sell loose cigarettes. But so you, you get you a know, man, the, there a are man on the street to, that to, uh, um, is combat uh, uh, the selling of Lucy's as their call. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and these stores, um, it may not be the owners who are uh, creating this kind of underworld, but it may be individuals who can pull money together to buy a pack of cigarettes, which may cost about $10. Right. It costs $10 now. They need <laughs> and then yeah. an entrepreneurial spirit try to sell them to make, uh, um, to make some money. And, but it all gets back to the economic underpinning of a community. And education is, is critical to the process. Right. And, 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 and not graduating from high school. Uh, we have this education gap, and then graduating from high school and not being prepared for a career or college, those kinds of things uh, mitigate communities right. from being fully developed. But when in communities we find that have a, a greater economic footing, you'll find the, the grocery stores, the, the price shoppers and shop rights and Safeways, those kinds of things. And the contrast is that when you walk through those front doors, you see fresh fruits and vegetables. Yes. And, and when you look at the economic impact on uh, in certain communities, individuals may not have cars, and they may not be able to do the kind of grocery shopping you would do if you had your private vehicle, so it's convenient for them to go to the corner store. So how can that be uh, addressed or changed uh, when it comes uh, you know, to we, we, policy? There, 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 there's the education in terms of how to be healthy. There's education mm-hmm. in terms of how you use your education to evolve into a career and a lifestyle. But it's difficult to make choices about being healthy when you have a limited budget. You may have um, uh, young children, and you're trying to stretch what the SNAP program will provide or stretch what the food camp, food stamps, which is SNAP, or the WIC program to provide. So you're willing to perhaps buy the kinds of foods that are high in fat, but they they fill you up. And we know that not only in these uh, urban areas of low income, that in suburban areas as well, we're seeing that our kids are uh, 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 dealing with obesity and other kinds of nutritionally-related illnesses as a result of that. So, you know, it's um, uh, where you live, where you were born, where you were educated. Because research clearly, clearly indicates that your zip code can define your health status. Your zip code can be a very good predictor of your longevity. Right, and, and, and uh, yes, and, and that's quite devastating to say the least. But 
you know, if we focus on the zip codes, and, and of course they use zip codes, or, or I think we all use zip codes for, for something or another, and, you know, when you talk about education, uh, you know, colleges and universities, they use zip codes to um, uh, be more target-specific to the, to the student they want and so on, but I, I definitely understand that, but I, I just want to go back to um, the idea of if they're using the zip code and they understand uh, the environment that you're engaged in. When I say they, I'm just, I, I really want to focus on what uh, our responsibilities are as a community, but also uh, as a government. You know, uh, are there, uh, uh, or, or is there a platform that can be used to address uh, the local community and environment and helping them to make that transition beyond, uh, yes, there's the educational platform and uh, actually the First Lady, I, I love her campaign, um, but is there something that can be done to really focus on uh, building resources that help support the communities that are uh, really being devastated by um, uh, health, uh, the health care and the food. I, I just see that as a big, big change because it affects the way that kids uh, learn in school. It, you know, affects that, uh, the way that we're going to go on to nurture families. It constantly perpetuates this long-term dismal effect that uh, we're going to have uh, in the, the very near future. It's not going to get better unless uh, I think there are changes made uh, to address um, what you can sell in stores. Uh, <laughs> I know that's capitalism. I know that's hard. But I just think if you open a grocery store in a community and you're not required to do anything more than, than sell processed food, that's a major issue. But nobody addresses these things. It's kind of uh, there, similar there, there to having all the liquor stores on that. every corner um, in the past. So the, the, there, the, people were outraged, uh, and people stood up for that, Dwight. It's like, uh, get these liquor stores off every corner. You know, you're going to get uh, uh, a dismal, you know, uh, 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 effect, and, and you're going to get all the numbers that affect our community. I just think we should be screaming a lot louder. Hey, but, you know, uh, whether they're liquor stores or corner stores, they will stop where people are buying. And in some communities, it, we need to reflect on how we were able to overcome some of the very dark days of our history and uh, have to become more proactive. In this country, there are three ways to have to exert power and influence. One is that you have tremendous fiscal resources. You have financial, economic resources. Another is that you have political contacts. And the one that we often use in our communities has been numbers. Being able to get a group of people at a certain destination, at a certain point in time, to voice a concern. Yes. Some advocates for what's important for them. That was the underlying basis for the civil rights movement. Yes. It was the underlying principle for the women's rights movement. So we need to reflect upon those strategies, become more proactive, because once you have this strength and power in numbers, you can influence the local store in terms of what they should be stocking 
as an alternative absolutely that they have it. So, you know, it's in our capitalistic society, demand, consumption are our cousins or close kin. So if community, yeah. communities can organize around the local store and say, you know, we would like to have some more fresh fruit and vegetables, and we have 10 households who uh, we can pretty much assure that we're going to buy some collard greens, we're going to buy some tomatoes and lettuce, and we're going to make it worth your while to supply the fresh products that we need. Right. So and, you know, I, I must say, though, also, say, um, there are uh, uh, to, uh, the presence of the entrepreneurial spirit in a number of cities, especially even Atlanta, where they're addressing, they're going into communities with fruit stands. And, uh, they, you know, that, that whole question of uh, will people buy uh, uh, if you, you know, make changes that, that's real. That's definitely real because there are, there are uh, entrepreneurs that are going into cities uh, or communities and actually setting up all these fruits and vegetable stands, and people are buying it. So I'm not buying into the fact that no one wants it. I just think that uh, I always go back to this, Dwight, and that 98%, this is just something I, I learned uh, in many years ago in, in college and marketing, whatever, but 98% of the population don't go outside of their 20-mile radius anyway. 2% of the population, those numbers may have changed since then, but 2% of the population actually travel outside of their 20-mile radius. So if 98% of the population is only staying within their 20-mile radius, uh, hats off to them because they're building communities or they're suffering in communities where we do uh, unfortunately get uh, uh, the, um, the, the, this idea that they don't want more, you know, or they, they don't, they, because they buy in, you know, the corner store, uh, they get the soda, the, the, the bread, the white bread, the, the packaged potato chips, and they move on that they don't want more. I don't buy into that. I think they absolutely want more, and it has been uh, there have been studies to show that uh, as they bring it in, they're uh, definitely embracing it. I just think that we uh, drop the ball continuously without uh, thinking in terms of how to navigate through what's necessary for the, the, the uh, future of our communities. You know, I, I don't think, I think we're using too much of what has happened in the past. That's just my thinking on it. But I, I would love to uh, speak more also about um, uh, uh, your, your leadership in, in what you do uh, so uh, graciously in helping leaders to address all these issues because you, you just um, actually, uh, you know, mentioned so, more, so, so much more of what your, your um, uh, doing and thoughts are about our communities. So what's your platform for your leadership platform for people who uh, want many, to do many more in their very communities? very much aware of these health disparities. Okay. And many are, are, have changed their mode of operation. For example... They are extending the hours of care as opposed to just offering care from 8 to 4 or 9 to 5. They'll have evening. They'll have weekend hours. Great. They'll have community workers trying to uh, make services available, information available, so that people can make healthy decisions. About yes. About two weeks ago, we hosted a health fair 
in North Albany. And we had eight or nine healthcare providers uh, uh, talking about the services they provide. Uh, mm-hmm. Kidney screening, blood pressure, blood sugar levels, helping people understand the Affordable Care Act. And at the same time, we gave away fresh fruit and vegetables. Every Wednesday in that community, the Vegemobile comes to the parking lot of the local YMCA, and they sell at very discounted prices fruits and vegetables. Now, that's, that's excellent. That I think that's uh, something that we can all embrace and, and understand that we could uh, uh, do more, and when we do more, uh, people do respond. So I'm going to hold uh, uh, for a moment uh, – Dwight, we're going to come back. We're breaking for a commercial again, and we're speaking with Professor Dwight Williams, and uh, he's enlightening us on uh, uh, leadership, but also some of the disparities in our local communities. Thank you for listening. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You're tuned in to the Wellness Lounge a step further with host Desiree Watson. To find out more about our programs, please visit our website at www.wellnessinteractive.com. That's wellnessinteractive.com. Now, back to the show. Thanks again for tuning in. We're speaking with Professor Dwight Williams, and he is enlightening us on uh, some of the disparities in our local communities, um, but also some uh, great uh, information, positive information about what's actually happening in our communities to move forward uh, uh, with... um, uh, helping, you know, helping people to understand uh, how great it is to embrace uh, our health and our wellness. And that's always first above anything else, being human and, and making sure that uh, we're proactive in a lot of ways, uh, connecting that whole mind, body, spirit. So we just happen to be speaking about more of the physical today. So thanks again, Dwight. 
um, for coming on and, and speaking to us uh, about um, uh, your health and leadership uh, uh, initiatives. Can you um, uh, go directly to some of the events that uh, you're supporting and maybe even uh, directing or just tell us more about some of the events that are helping the communities locally okay. where you are. We, we recognize that uh, there are disparities in health outcomes based on race and gender. And, and uh, one important study indicated that uh, they looked at the health status of African Americans in Prince George's County, Maryland, versus that of their white counterparts. Now, Prince George's County has been defined as uh, the most affluent community for African Americans in the country. Their medium income exceeds that of the nation's medium income. And, and many folks have argued that if you, uh, if persons of light income levels will have the same kind of health outcomes, what the literature found out, uh, demonstrated, was that the, even when you control for education and income, the health experiences for African Americans was uh, significantly more negative than that of uh, the white counterparts. So, yes, and, and that is, is why. It, it, it's not so much that uh, uh, black folk, we are, we are cursed with bad health. Well, no. And in many instances, we've lacked access to care, we haven't taken advantage in some instances of the care that has been provided. Exactly. That's, that's there, definitely there are true. institutional biases in terms of, of the care that we receive. We know that uh, African Americans presenting with heart kinds of uh, ailments have traditionally been treated less aggressively than white counterparts. So there are a variety of reasons, medical, social, uh, uh, racial, while our health status is significantly less than that of of, uh, of, of our white kind of counterparts. Right, but but and, and you're so that's that's all uh, absolutely real and, and factual. But um, you know, health is a business, uh, and it's unfortunate because it's part of our whole you know, capitalistic uh, society, which I'm fine with, with capitalists. I'm okay with that, not, you know, telling that. But when you view or, or you're looking at health as a business, then, um, yeah, I think we need to get closer to what that really means as well because, uh, you know, uh, diabetes. Diabetes, uh, it's now uh, uh, stated as it, it's really an African-American disease. That's what we all think or we all uh, perpetuate in a sense that it's an African-American disease. But in other countries, you know, uh, Africa, at one point, it was less than 1%, you know, diabetes, you know, in, in the Caribbean, same thing. But now that we have fast food, we have uh, 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 fast food in the Caribbean, people are now... Uh, unfortunately, getting uh, the numbers are, are being raised with diabetes, all these things. So that said, if it's, if it's a, um, truly uh, an uh, entrepreneurial platform for health, where does that leave us, you know, or leave African Americans, I should say? Because uh, I, and, and I, I must say, I, I, you know, when I say us, yes, I'm African American, but um, I, I'm, you know, one of the African Americans that 
may not worry as much uh, because uh, I'm in a different community, so to speak, and, and maybe uh, you and I are, you know, we're educated on what to do and how to be proactive. But if it's truly a product and it's an entrepreneurial platform for health and wellness, where does that leave uh, communities that are really struggling? Is there a space there where we can uh, train and ed- educate leaders on how to maybe get close to the entrepreneurial spirit of, of health and, and uh, therefore they're able to give back to their communities? I don't know, but I, I know it exists. It's a product. Well, it, it, it's not just the institutional health and health care providers. Uh, some of this is, is, is on us in terms of our behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, A lot of it, I get that. We, we do things that are just not healthy. And yes. not to make an excuse for our health status, we clearly know, many folks clearly know that a constant diet that's uh, heavy in fats, high in salt and sugar contents, is just not healthy for our, our bodies. Yeah, I, I do understand that, but if it's in the communities and it's a business, so to speak, if you have a business that really perpetuates, uh, I'll take care of you, when, when, you know, in a lot of cases, to your point, we're doing it to ourselves, they can't take care of you, so why continue to perpetuate that? So, and, so and all I'm saying is, I see situations where and, you're given, because yeah, uh, I, I had um, a couple of diabetics in my family, where they're given a diet to follow, and it, uh, there are cases, Dwight, where I reversed the diabetes, because I'm looking at the diet that they're given to follow, and I'm going, I don't get this. This does not work with, you know, helping you to uh, um, uh, really uh, progressively uh, push forward in not being a diabetic. It's just the standard. And all I'm saying is, is that if we can look at it, it's truly a, a product. And that may be kind of, you know, it's not your position. Maybe, I don't know, it may be difficult uh, to even address it, but for me... I think this is where we are now. We have to aggressively address the issue of uh, health care in our country being a product. And a lot of what we do, to your point, yes, we're responsible for ourselves and we should do more. And a lot of what we do, it, you know, it's a detriment to to our health. I get that. But if you have no place else to go, if it's being marketing as a product, yeah, forget it. <laughs> you're you're not uh, uh, you're, you're not moving far beyond that. If yeah, it's being marketing to, towards you, okay. you're going um, to lose <laughs> because marketing people sit around day in and day out and think absolutely. and figure absolutely. out how they can make more money. And so that's the issue I have. Well, healthcare the is the product. Care Act is going a long way toward making healthcare services available. Uh, without respect to cost, limiting the heavy burdens that you may have as a result of cost being a factor. So far, right. a million Americans have signed on to this. We have some 42, 42 million folk who don't have health insurance. Then we have folk who do have health insurance. It's important now that since 
the financial barrier has been eliminated in many instances for folks to engage their providers. And when I talk to men's group, I ask them to, to focus on knowing your numbers. And this can also apply to, to women. I ask men to know your PSA number. Mm-hmm. Get that blood test. Get that rectal. Right. Know your blood pressure number. Exactly. Cholesterol number. And know your blood sugar number. Right. And then this way you have a, a, a great dialogue with your health care provider. You know you're, you're definitely being proactive and you're engaging with them in, in knowing, you know, where you are. So I love that. Know your numbers. Know this. Go in. Numbers. And for women as well, yes. uh, not so much the PSA, but know your numbers as well because women are have brothers and uncles and aunts. Women's are the ones can keep folk on on point in yes. terms of their health status. Yes. And 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 helping people to understand that well, there's no excuse now for you not going to have that annual physical examination. Right. There's no excuse for you not to follow up on your appointments. And, exactly. and there's no excuse why you continue to do things that your physician is telling you is harmful to your health. I know right, and knowing that everybody's marketing uh, uh, to you whatever they can uh, for you to eat or, or you know, uh, drink, uh, you, you need to know your numbers and you need to be in front of your physician saying, I got this. <laughs> also, I, I, I know for a fact that these corner stores will change their products if communities come together and say at least once a week, we want some kale, we want yes. some collard greens, we want fresh corn and tomatoes. Yes. And over time, I can assure you that I have five neighbors who have assured me that they're going to come in here and buy these products. Yeah. As uh, yes, absolutely. I think if they uh, not just only you have that small fruit stand, to your point, Right in the front of the store, you can they can test market this themselves. Just put a fruit stand there and see how quickly it disappeared. I was in Alabama and I was unfortunately at a funeral service or whatever, and so of course people bring over food, tons and tons of food. Well, you know, I went out and got this big fruit basket with you know grapes and strawberries and all this. It was, I mean, just watching that disappear. You know, because most of the time you don't see fruit, uh, very seldom are you seeing fruit at, at uh, the weight. You know, people aren't bringing that type of food for some reason. But it disappeared so quickly that I had to go back out and get more. And I'm just using that as an example only because sometimes it just uh, takes the next step. Just take it a step further. Just go get the fruit stand. And I don't really think it needs to be a big rally. I just think someone, one or two people, just needs to, you need to walk in the store and say, listen, I'd like to do this with you. Let's just have a small fruit stand. And let me manage it. And let's see where we go with this. And you're, you know, the, the store owner is making uh, uh, money and, and, and maybe this person that's bringing in uh, the stand is making a little change as well. But Things like that, I, I believe, help 
the community. So the stores don't uh, uh, continue to perpetuate this idea that, you know, nobody wants anything. They just want uh, this uh, little processed uh, food stand there. Uh, I've, uh, I know for a fact that you can ask people uh, what they ate, you know, coming up. They will say, well, all that uh, I ate was whatever. I had my white bread, my soda, because that's all that uh, was available to me. Well, and in, well, we've got to change that. We've got to change it where, uh, you know, our, our young people grow up to say, well, uh, we had, you know, uh, fruit. We had, you know, uh, 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 non-processed foods. And, 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 of course, that's never disappearing, I'm sure. But we had fruit, but we also, you know, had chips and soda and so on. I, it, it's just taking it a step further and helping someone to be, uh, you know, really proactive and that entrepreneur. We, we call that empowerment. Yes. <laughs> empowerment. Thank you. <laughs> and you don't need governmental regulations right. to organize your community to meet with the corner store and, say, and tell them that we want some fresh fruit. Yes. You just need folks because that, that the power of, that, of your currency dictates behavior. Yes. Store owners are selling what sells. Yes. Now, can I have a few minutes now uh, we have left? Uh, I'd like to make the, the listeners aware that in relationship to what we talked about today, uh, we're hosting a Black Men's Health Summit. In all yeah, can you? I'm sorry because we are closing out. We're you're you're hosting what again? Do I? It's a Black Men's Health Summit on August 11th from 8:30 to 3:30 at the First Unitarian Society Church in Albany, 405 Washington Avenue. And we're going to talk about the stigmas associated with black men and access to care, why one's mental health and physical health status impacts one another. We're going to talk about the relationship. Of Beautiful. Our health status, important to the uh, affordable care. Beautiful. Where can they find it? Can they email you as well? What's your email address, uh, Dwight? My email address is dwilliams2. dwilliams2 at... Albany.edu. Albany.edu. Yes. Okay. Oh, thank you so much for joining us uh, today, uh, Dwight, and, uh, in, and definitely empowering us with uh, so much information and uh, leadership uh, in our communities. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, so please come back and join us, and uh, please uh, support uh, uh, Dwight and all of the great work that he's doing. You can email him and uh, he'll definitely give you more information on their event that's uh, coming up uh, in August. On, it's August, but August uh, 11th, I think August he just 11th, mentioned every, yeah. everything. Okay? So thank you, and tune in next Monday. We have another very interesting guest for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week for the Wellness Lounge. Just step further. Please tune in next Monday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another great show featuring your host, Desiree Watson. We'll continue to show you how to incorporate a wellness lifestyle and live a better life.